the only hope we have, brothers and sisters, of our faith surviving the constant barrage of false teaching is the continuing, sustaining grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. We sing it, He will hold me fast. That's your hope. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What does a false teacher look like? Are there specific physical characteristics you should look out for? Or are false teachers revealed through their spiritual characteristics? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will conclude his current series with part four of Wolves in Shepherd's Clothing. So far, you've seen the perpetual danger of false teachers, and you've learned the biblical response to false teachers. There is a third insight that Paul provides, and that is what could be called the spiritual anatomy of false teachers. You'll discover just exactly how false teachers present themselves and how a biblical response should be the response from every believer. What about you, friend? Do you know of those in your life teaching a false gospel? Are they perhaps the teachers and leaders wherein you've placed yourself? If so, what will be your response? Let's join our teacher to find out more now on The Word Unleashed. Turn to 2 John, John's second letter. You're familiar with this section, but let me just remind you. 2 John, verse 7 Many deceivers have gone out into the world who have a flawed view of Christ. They are deceivers and antichrist. Verse 8, watch yourselves. Verse 9, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, the teaching from Christ and about Christ, does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, here's your response. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the the true biblical teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. This doesn't mean you can't say hello, but it does mean that you don't say anything that would in any way give the idea that you approve of what they stand for and what they're teaching. You don't in any way assist them in their enterprise, and you certainly don't have any efforts to have some sort of false fellowship with them. No, treat them as outside the Christian faith. So, we've seen the perpetual danger of false teachers, and we've just examined the biblical response to false teachers. But back in our text, there is a third insight that Paul gives us here, and that is the spiritual anatomy of false teachers. The spiritual anatomy of false teachers, we see this in verse 18. Paul wants us to understand what these people are like, so he he gives us a brief anatomy lesson. First, he points out their spiritual condition, and it's characterized by one word, dead. They're dead. Verse 18, For such men are slaves, notice these two key words, not of our Lord Christ. Not of our Lord Christ. That is a clear pronouncement by the apostle of their true spiritual condition. They are not slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But as we've discovered in the book of Romans, the essence of being a Christian is to be a slave of Jesus Christ. That starts in verse 1 where Paul says he is a slave of Christ. We discover that we are slaves of Christ in chapter 6, verse 22, as well as 1 Corinthians 7, 22. Since false teachers are not slaves of our Lord Christ, that must mean they are not genuine Christians. They are still dead in their sins. As he continues his spiritual anatomy, he, he next uncovers their real motive. Their real motive is their own appetites. Notice verse 18, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but they are slaves of their own, literally, bellies. They're slaves of their own bellies. Now, that expression has been variously understood. Some say it means they are slaves to gluttony, and that's used as a metaphor for a greedy lifestyle. Others say, no, it means they're slaves to their flesh and the desires of the flesh. Still others say, no, it's really talking about the fact they're slaves to themselves. They're, they're egocentric. They're slaves to their own self-interests. I don't think we have to choose between those. I think it's probably a combination of all three. False teachers are slaves to a greedy, self-centered lifestyle dominated by self-indulgence and the desires of the flesh. Philippians 3.19 describes false teachers this way, their God is their appetite. Their God is their desires, what they want. Turn over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, and notice how Peter describes false teachers here. I'll begin in the middle of verse 13. 2 Peter 2, middle of verse 13, they are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. And you get the, the obvious sexual overtones of that expression. And he goes on with that, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery. In other words, everywhere they look, they see objects for their sexual prey. This is, they're consumed with sexual favors from members of the opposite sex, or in some cases the same sex, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained. That word trained is a word that's often used for preparing for the athletic games. They have exercised themselves in getting better in greed, accursed children, forsaking the way they have gone astray. These are people who are consumed with greed and sexual sin and completely self-consumed. Turn over to Jude. Jude's whole letter is about false teachers, and in verse 4, Notice how he describes them. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed to the, to the Christian community. Those who were beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Now notice how he describes them. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. That's not a word you probably use very often. But it's a word that, that means excess. It means wanton pursuit of your pleasures. It means abandoning yourself to your desires in a sinful way. All kinds of desires. They abandon themselves to their appetites. This is how you know false teachers. This is what motivates them. It's their own appetites. Next, Paul explains their deceptive method. 
their deceptive method, smooth, flattering speech. Like carnivorous caterpillars, false teachers disguise themselves as they search for their prey. They don't disguise themselves physically, but in their words. Notice verse 18, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive. Smooth words. These are literally easy words. Fine speech. And flattering speech here is actually a word which means blessing, good words. But, but here it refers to words that are well-chosen but untrue, false eloquence, flattery. If you want to know what this looks like, just turn on your television set and look at TVN. This is what it looks like. False teachers conceal their real deadly content in smooth words couched in, in sort of rhetorical flourishes meant to, meant to sway people's emotions. Colossians 2.4 says they delude with persuasive arguments. 2 Peter 2.1, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. 2 Peter 2.3, they exploit with false words. This is their deceptive method. They give you a little bit of truth, a little bit of the real, mixed with plenty of error, and they serve it to you on silver platter. Chuck Swindoll tells the story about a friend of his who was invited to an elegant evening at a doctor's home near Miami. The doctor's wife had recently completed a gourmet cooking course, and she decided to put her new cooking skills to the ultimate test. And so she decided to make the hors d'oeuvres for the dinner out of Alpo dog food. True story. After adding some spices and herbs to, you know, change the flavor, she put the doctored dog food on gourmet crackers, put on a wedge of imported cheese, bacon, bacon makes everything better, an olive and a, a sliver of pimento, and then she served the appetizers on a silver tray, and then watched. And with a great sense of satisfaction, she watched her guests go back again and again for more. Apparently, they remained her friends even after she told them the truth, and they all had a good laugh together. I might have had a good laugh, but I don't think I'd ever go back there for dinner again. <laughs> Ken Hughes comments on that story this way. He says, Every day, phony preachers are marketing their wares on shiny platters, decorated in such a way that people do not know what they're really getting. Their dishes are topped with the language of orthodoxy, pious religious cliches and buzzwords, and are being eagerly consumed by the tragically grateful. They even pay for it by the millions. End quote. Smooth, flattering words are their deceptive method. Next, we learn their favorite targets. As this anatomy continues, we learn their favorite targets. They're the unsuspecting. The unsuspecting. Verse 18, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The Greek word translated unsuspecting here sometimes has a positive sense. For example, it's used in Hebrews 7.26 of our Lord, where there in reference to sin, he's referred to as innocent. Same word. But when this word has to do not with sin, but rather how a person views the real world, it's better translated gullible, naive, 
Who are these unsuspecting, these naive, gullible ones? Well, again, Paul is reminding us all to be on our guard, but false teachers love to prey on these unsuspecting targets. First of all, young, immature believers. Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15 talks about spiritual children, and they are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Paul says, listen, you need to grow up in Christ because spiritual children are easy prey for false teachers. Secondly, they love to prey on unbelievers who are seeking freedom from an enslaving sin and futile lives. 2 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19 says, False teachers entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Thirdly, they prey on the poor, the disadvantaged, and the desperate. In Mark chapter 12, Verse 40, Jesus said of the Pharisees, the false teachers of his day, that they devoured widows' houses. False teachers prey on the desperate. They prey on the poor. They prey on the disadvantaged. They prey on the sick and the suffering. They prey on people who are looking for a miracle. And number four, they prey on weak, sinful people. 2 Timothy 3 6 says false teachers enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. 2 Peter 2.14, they entice unstable souls. So make no mistake, false teachers are predators. They are wolves targeting the unsuspecting and The unsuspecting are immature believers, enslaved unbelievers, the poor and desperate, the weak and the unstable. So Paul says, you need to recognize false teachers. Take a look at their spiritual anatomy. And he has laid that out for us in verse 18. There's a fourth insight here about false teachers, and that is in verse 19, our principal protection against false teachers our principal protection against false teachers. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you. Now, at first, this verse appears to come out of nowhere. He's talking about false teachers. What does this have to do with anything? Notice it is linked. The word for begins verse 19 because verse 19 explains why Paul was comfortable urging these people he'd never met to look out for false teachers. It was because the report about their obedience to the gospel and the scripture had reached believers across that part of the world. Paul himself rejoiced having heard about their obedience. And he mentions this in verse 19 to remind them of how much the gospel would be harmed if they accepted false teaching. They were known for their obedience to Christ. Imagine how devastating if they started following false teaching. But but I think he also does so to affirm his own confidence that because of their pattern of obedience, they were going to heed this warning against false teachers and they were going to be protected. You see, the more your life is characterized by obedience to the Scripture, the less susceptible you will be to error. That's why he goes on in verse 19 to say, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Paul says, I want you to be wise in 
identifying, believing, and following the truth. And I want you to be innocent in believing and following error. You know what Paul is saying here in verse 19? He's saying, like the Romans, your principal protection against false teachers is knowing the truth in Scripture, believing the truth in Scripture, and obeying the truth in Scripture. Concentrate on what Scripture teaches. Live in the Scriptures. Remember Psalm 1, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate in it day and night. Remember Psalm 119, come to the Word of God. By the way, let me just give you a little warning. There are well-intentioned people, Christians, who spend their lives dwelling on those discernment ministry websites on the internet. Don't do that. Don't Don't get a steady diet of that. First of all, they often go beyond the clear teaching of Scripture in their assessment of others. But I'm more concerned about this. It's a subtle sleight of hand. It's a ploy of Satan because you end up spending all of your time studying error rather than the truth of Scripture. The best way to identify the counterfeit is to have a thorough knowledge of the genuine. The best way to identify the counterfeit is to have a thorough knowledge of the genuine. You've all heard the illustration that when they teach people who handle money to recognize counterfeits, they don't just give them all the counterfeits and say, spend all your time looking at this counterfeit money. Rather, they don't give them any counterfeit money. They start by exposing them and giving them a constant, thorough knowledge of the genuine. And then they can recognize the counterfeit. And that's how it is with us. Spend your time and life energy in the truth of Scripture. Yes, you need to know error, but you're going to learn that error as you learn the truth and as Scripture exposes you to that error. The final insight that we gain here about false teachers is our final confidence against false teachers. Our final confidence against false teachers in verse 20. False teachers, they're so deceptive. They're so destructive. How can we hope to survive? How can we hope to run the gauntlet of this life through all of the false teaching that Satan throws at us? What's our ultimate hope and confidence? It's in two things Paul highlights here. First of all, God's defeat of Satan. This is our first confidence. God's defeat of Satan. Beginning of verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's interesting, isn't it? The God who is the source of peace will soon bring about peace, not by detente, but by utterly crushing his enemies, our enemy, Satan. Here, by the way, in verse 20, we're reminded of the the ultimate source behind all false teaching. It's Satan. Satan, John 8, 44 tells us, is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Satan is the ultimate source of all error. But Satan delegates. We learn in 1 Timothy 4.1 that Satan delegates this work to his demons. His demons create and promote all false religion and all false teaching. In fact, it's interesting there, false teaching is called the doctrine of demons in 1 Timothy 4.1. And there, it's not antinomianism. It's not libertarianism. Rather, it's legalism telling people they have to abstain from marriage and have to abstain from certain foods. And Paul says it's doctrines of demons. Demons came up with this. So Satan is the ultimate source. Demons are the ones who 
who create and promote all false religion and his false teaching. But then the, the, the sort of third layer in this scheme is the human false teachers. And they are merely pawns. They are merely servants of Satan, according to 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, Servants of Satan. But God will soon crush Satan, the author of all error, under our feet. That was first promised, you remember, in Genesis 3.15, when we're told the Messiah shall bruise the serpent on the head. It was initially fulfilled at the cross, according to Colossians 2.15. There, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. Here's something you may not have thought about, though. This defeat of Satan, it is being constantly fulfilled in us as we believe the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 speaks of young men who are strong and in whom the Word of God abides. And listen to this. Because the Word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. We are in the process of seeing God crush Satan under our feet as we understand the Scriptures, believe it, and obey it. 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. You know who the them is in context? False teachers. You are of God, little children, and have overcome false teachers because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So it's being fulfilled right now. It will ultimately be fulfilled in Revelation 20, verse 10, when it says the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Listen, your great hope is the fact that God is defeating Satan under your feet. You're not defeating him. God's defeating him through his truth and through his promises. There's a second confidence we have, and that's Christ's grace to us. Look at the second half of verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is how Paul finishes all of his letters. I could give you a list, but I don't need to do that. Likely, he wrote these words with his own hand. It was like his signature authenticating the letter. But, but this is more than a traditional ending or a signature. Paul fills his closing with rich spiritual significance. And here it fits perfectly. Because the only hope we have, brothers and sisters, of our faith surviving the constant barrage of false teaching is the continuing, sustaining grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. We sing it, He will hold me fast. That's your hope. Jude finishes his little letter about false teachers with these words, Jude 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. In context, It's talking about stumbling into damning error, stumbling into false teaching that's going to destroy your soul. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Your great confidence is the grace of Jesus Christ. That is your ultimate final confidence. He will hold you fast. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes his current series titled Wolves in Shepherd's Clothing. 
Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. Well, Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? This warning that we've studied together is so important in our day, and yet I love the fact that Paul ends by assuring us that true believers are going to be preserved from soul-damning error by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, if that's true, why do we even need the warning? And here's the point. The warning itself is part of the way Christ protects us from that error. By using that warning, we are warned, we turn aside, we're alert, and our souls are protected from from damning error that would lead us to embrace a different gospel, a different Jesus. And so our Lord loves us, and he protects us through his truth until we are presented perfect in his presence. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect. And we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's all at thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.